Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 100th episode of Con Response Podcast. So, y'all, I mean, what? I, 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 clearly, obviously, this is a huge milestone. And, I mean, I hadn't even fully wrapped my mind around it until I was deciding what I wanted to do for it. I was like, oh, this is big. We've hit triple digits, y'all. Um, and of course, my gals, my rocks, Mama Fitz and Carrie Keir. So I was chatting about ideas and both of them unanimously were like a best of episode. You gotta. And so we are going to look back throughout the last 99 episodes because seriously, y'all, like gingerly, I cannot believe we're at 100 episodes. Like, I, I really can't. I mean, this has been like a labor of love and such a special project to me. I have I have edited while I've had migraines I've edited in the back of taxis after coming back after opening nights for work like I've recorded two episodes in one day this has been such a gift even though it's been a lot of hard work do you know what I mean and I I don't regret any second of it and I mean this started just just because I wanted to honor and amplify the voices of black artists who are doing incredible things across disciplines and I am I get goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about, you know, how much it's grown and thinking back to 2016, how four black actors had won the major musical acting awards at the Tony Awards and the police brutality and the discussions around it, you know, were rapidly increasing. And, I, you know, conversations about all of it just felt so necessary and crucial. Um, I, I wasn't seeing it in mainstreams, like the, the arts media, the arts outlets, you know, and... So baby Felicia bought two microphones and I decided to just dive in, not knowing a thing about podcasting, uh, just so we could document and chronicle all of our work in this space. And I'm, you know what, y'all, I'm really proud of myself. (laughs) I, I don't know if I'm as fearless now as I was back then. And for those who have been around since the beginning, um, you know, there have been some ups and downs. There have been some peaks and valleys like me. I mean, I'm still learning how to do audio correctly and adequately, but especially at the beginning, thank you for hanging in there. Um, or, or like saying the title of Secret Life of Bees wrong, the entire interview with the icon, the legendary Lynn Nottage. Um, yeah, you know, so we've seen it all together, but I really do feel like we've created a family, you know, out of the listeners and the guests of the podcast. Um, And so as always, I am so hyped, so thrilled and so excited that we get to celebrate this milestone together. We're starting off with some of my favorite mic check and intro tag outtakes because I just love when guests add their own flair or they'll join me in singing Benny's Dispatch uh, from In the Heights. So take a listen. Mic check, one, two, three, we are live and direct. Okay, I don't even know what to say. You yeah. killed it. Dig it, uh, 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 dig it. Dig it, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Am I recording? You are recording, your audio too. Let's do a mic test, check, one, two, three. Check, one, two, three. This is Vinny on the dispatch. Yo. <laughs> Tencio. Hey. Yo. Attention. It's Vinny and I like to mention. I'm on the microphone this morning. Honk your horn if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> Z1016977. Stay tuned.
Roger Feather Kelly on the ones and twos with Alicia. When I say call, you say response. Call. Response. Hey, call. Response. Hey, when I say call, you say response and call. Response. Hey, call. Response. All right. Hi, this is Nick Reed from That's a Raven, and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it for real. Hello, I am Dwayne Perkins, and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jordan E. Cooper, and you're listening to the Call and Response Podcast. Ta -ta. Hi, I'm Zaniba Now. You're listening to the Call and Response Podcast. It's lit. Hey, guys, this is Christiani Pitts, and you are listening to the Call and Response Podcast. Ooh -ooh. Hi, I am Caesar Williams, and you are listening to the Call and Response Podcast. Hello. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. That time, I definitely started tearing up. Everything's fine. Um, but don't those just make you smile? I mean, th those are always my favorite moments. They're a little unscripted, totally unapologetic, and just you know, they're just embracing the good vibes only. Okay, and that's what we need. And I mean, I can honestly say I have had a great time recording every single episode, even if there were technical difficulties or there were rushed timelines or whatever it was, because every guest showed up as their authentic selves. And that is like the best thing you can ask for as an interviewer. And I mean, we we interviewed a lot of different folks, y'all. We interviewed performers, right? Actors, dancers, directors, singers, playwrights, composers, comedians, educators, content creators, photographers, marketers, producers, uh, managers of the house, company, and stage variety, and and everything in between, right? I, I'm sure I forgot something, but like there are also so many multi hyphenates because artists really can't be boxed in, right? There people people contain multitudes and we got to learn all about their whole artistic selves. And our guests have included two-time Poulter Prize winner Lynn Nottage, Tony winner Tanya Pinkins, multiple Tony nominees, plus winners and nominees for the Obies, the Drama Desk, the Lortels, the Grammys, the Adelcos, and so many more. But what I've loved about the community of this podcast is that awards don't even matter, okay? Because, of course, we love celebrating the accomplishments, but it was more than that. It was about celebrating the guests as a full, multidimensional human being and hearing about their artistic journey. And I think the important thing that Colin Response has highlighted is how while all of these artists exist at the intersection of blackness and performing arts, there are so many lived experiences that shape who they are and that make up the larger culture as a whole, right? Because of course there are similarities and differences, but it, that, it felt like such a significant topic to discuss, which is why I would ask similar questions. I think y'all probably know, right? There would be a few questions that I would ask every guest. We would find out, you know, what would be a piece of black art that you would recommend to our listeners? Or who are some of the fellow black artists that you'd like to give a shout out to? Which was controversial because how do you choose just one? Um, but then it was, you know, how did you get involved with performing arts? And a lot of folks began in the church. A lot of a lot of folks discovered arts after being in sports for a long time. And of course, we had to give some love to the arts educators and teachers who showed the way, offering support and encouragement. 
And throughout these episodes and throughout these interviews and throughout all of these lived experiences, like we still see themes and topics pop up or that we continue to return to because there still is this overarching specific experience for black artists. And that's what I loved was learning and listening to the multiple perspectives on any given topic, right? And that's what I want this episode to be about because how do I choose? We've had an amazing 99 episodes and they're all best of in my opinion and I'm so grateful for each one. So we're looking back at, at the topics that continued to pop up for us, you know. Um, what's on the minds? What's, what's on the hearts and the spirits of these black artists? How are they dissecting all of this? How are they emotionally processing it? First, we're going to hear from Pulitzer Prize winner Michael R. Jackson, House Manager and Arts Administrator Jim Joseph, and Princess Grace Award-winning director Miranda Heyman on the topic of diversity. Diversity in musical theater. Oh, yeah. I know that that's a big problem to chew on. Mm-hmm. So, um, Especially since we can't always even agree on what it means. So, okay, and this is, I'm ready for you to school me. So what, what does diversity in musical theater mean to you? I think diversity in musical theater means acknowledging that there is an entire jewel with endless facets of points of view that need to be represented at any given time on the stage and off the stage. Ding, ding, ding. Amen. Read, sweet, cosign. (laughs) Diversity isn't about getting rid of all the white people when we're bringing all people of color. It's about just what it says. It's diversity. Mm -hmm. You know, you need diverse ideas. You need diverse approaches. Right. And that's when great ideas come from. Mm -hmm. You know, if you surround yourself with people who just think exactly how you think. Mm Mm-hmm. Where are you going to go from that? Right, right. You, know, you need someone who's going to challenge you, come give you a different perspective on how to do something. Mm-hmm. And that's what's not happening in a lot of these rooms. For me, I was like, well, like diversity with a lowercase d mm-hmm. is, you know, like making sure that folks from different groups and communities are represented. And of course, as we talk about diversity right now, that has limitations. But, you know, that is diversity. And something that I learned, I was fortunate enough to go to um, a high school that was very diverse with that lowercase d. Mm -hmm. Um, And also where I grew up in Boston actually was very diverse with a lowercase d. But then when I went to college, I discovered a different kind of diversity, which Mm -hmm. for right now I'm going to call like diversity with a capital D. And that's, you know, like diversity of thought. Ooh. Like, so to me, and that became fascinating to me. I loved that I would be in reading theories, you know, a class that's literally just like we're reading theory mm-hmm. and there would be somebody who had taken math, mm. someone who was a math major taking reading theories or someone who right. was an environmental studies major also in this class. And then yeah. my black ass doing, you know, like theater and German and <laughs> literature and whatever the fuck else I was doing. Right. Right. Like <laughs> I loved that. I loved that we would all be reading the same text Mm -hmm. And we were all able to bring our own perspectives of how we saw the work and how we talked about the work and how we thought about the work that existed in like a multiplicity. So while I Mm -hmm. champion for and want desperately for our our notion of like diversity with a lowercase d to continue to grow and change and become more and more nuanced and more and more specific. Mm -hmm. I also think that we need to think about diversity with a capital D as well. 
mm-hmm. which is again like that diversity of thought right because then that means that that's also including diversity with the lowercase d that's also including okay well if we have folks who are thinking about things in a certain way that means that they have different life experiences which have led them to be in that position and as people who are often in the public spotlight actors have to be very aware of how blackness is consumed by the outside world as black people how do we get to define our individual blackness and our identity while also realizing the mainstream is trying to define that for us there are two moments that have stuck with me about this topic. One from Tony nominee Adrian Warren, and the other from the original Christoph in Frozen on Broadway, Jelani Aladdin. I'm just going to say this. Black people are really trendy right now. Black is trendy. You know, it's in, in, in two days, it cannot be, you know. We are trendy right now, and we won't be soon. Because it's a it's a common cycle. It happens. Um, mm. But, mm. you know, it's it's up to us and what we do with that. We pick up pins. We write our stories down. We start be- learning how to be producers. We right when when that door closes in your face as an actor, start learning how to direct. You know, what? I want to share with you something I wrote. Okay. Oh my God, y'all! This is a con response podcast exclusive. Oh shoot! Um, so recently, on my so I saw White Noise at the Public Theater. I think we talked about this, um, yeah. about how much it kind of shook me, mm-hmm. and how much I was kind of like, "Whoa, this play is doing something and, and creating a conversation that I think is the world possibly ready for this even." Mm. So I posted one of my responses on my Instagram. Okay. Um, about smiling, right? Um. Mm. You should go. I don't know if you read that yet, but um, it's like my most recent post on Instagram. But I wrote one about what does it mean to be black. And okay. I'll share it with you right here. Uh, please. What does it mean to be black? I'll tell you what it should mean. It should mean everything it does to be white. White people have no adjectives attached to their description. Well, some might argue basic, but <laughs> usually <laughs> it's just white. Oh, and they have privilege. But black is often associated with loud, sassy, angry, violent, ugly, fat, uneducated, thug-like, ratchet. Why can't we as a race be as full and wide a spectrum as white people? It's partially, no, majorly, because this country began with us as slaves. So from the birth of our societal constructs, we were branded and deemed lesser than not worthy of, and not privileged to. How do you ever recover from that type of beginning? When there had to be a national war for your freedom, and then again a whole movement for Mm. your rights to vote, to attend the same schools as whites, to eat amongst whites, to live in certain neighborhoods, and now we still fighting just to stay alive? All right, to play a bit of devil's advocate, It is also partially us black folks accepting these statuses of low and owning these adjectives because they form a clear identity, which is what we've wanted for so long, right? Some of us rather be seen as those things than not be seen at all. I myself fall prey to blacking it up, whatever that means, and why should I have to do that to feel that I am authentic and valid? Maybe I do want to be seen as intelligent or feel powerful, look sexy, claim my space. Why is that a crime to some and a sellout to others? 
I celebrate and love my black skin, but I am longing for the day when the rest of the world can see it as not needing to mean anything simply than just being present. Yo. That's a Jelani Latin exclusive. Jel- <laughs> that, w- that was beautiful. Thank you. And through all of that, what does it mean to be a black artist in the theater? What external expectations does that put on the artist? Does it affect their purpose and goals? Take a listen to composer, lyricist, and actor Douglas Lyons, OB-winning playwright Alicia Harris, and writer and actor Gilbert L. Bailey II. So I have a qualm. Okay, tell me the qualm. I got a qualm. Tell me the qualm. So there is a movement happening right now with some black playwrights. Okay. And I'm calling out that people hate me. If they <laughs> want to hate me, they can do what it is what it is. But there no. is, so, you know, I'm not going to name plays, but like Play X mm-hmm. by, I'm making it me. Mm-hmm. Sandra Phillips okay. is coming to Broadway. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then we get Play XY by gay, black, poor, blah, 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 playwright is coming to oh, X, Y, and Z. Oh, I see. And what I'm not a fan of mm-hmm. is it feeling like to exist, there has to be a, an excuse or a backstory for you to understand why you should come see the story. They're a playwright first, mm-hmm. just like these other playwrights are toting And that goes back to what mm-hmm. I was saying earlier about visibility. Right. Don't, when you finally give the visibility, feel like you have to point it out and feel proud of yourself. You're actually doing a disservice because... In one way, you're saying, yes, they're here, but you have to tag all this other stuff for them to exist. And for me, yeah. I if it was happening to everyone, awesome. But uh. I see it happening to a lot of people of color. And I just want to make sure we're checking it that we're not filling a quota, and that's why we're here. I try to write um, for myself. I'm writing the stories that I want to hear and want to experience. Mm. I am trying to make theater in order to say to a demographic that's often ignored in the theater, this belongs to you. Mm -hmm. You belong in this space and this belongs to you. So I make a serious effort to write sort of without trying to um, uh, appeal to a certain gaze or explain Mm. like, black mm-hmm. southernness to people who might not get it sure. do you know yeah. so i try to keep it sort of pure and true yeah um that's that's my strategy i i understand that audiences will be what they will be i can't always control i can um, maybe never control sure. that but um i think that i do myself a disservice and everyone else if i try to write towards something other than trying to create a great narrative that feels true to myself yes you know yeah so and so then my follow-up question to that is, do you feel restricted to not write about angry black women because it's a trope? Well, it's, that's really tricky yeah. because that trope exists. Mm-hmm. Do I stay away from my very real anger as a black woman, the anger that has to do with being a black woman in America, an anger that I think is righteous? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, do I stay valid. away from that because that is the stereotype? That's the one story that people want to tell about us. The answer is no. I think is God is says very deliberately no Mm -hmm. i will be angry if Mm -hmm. i am angry and you're gonna think what you want to think because this is the thing 
racist people are going to be racist no matter what I write. I mm-hmm. cannot tidy us up enough. I cannot create the perfect mm. version of 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 black person that's going to erase racism. Mm-hmm. Like those people are going to come with their ideas. They learn them when they come out of the womb. This mythology we are bombarded with, this anti-blackness, anti whatever, tra- any like um community that's marginalized, mm-hmm. the ugliness that's heaped on us starts from from you know it's the imagery that we are exposed to yeah. so it's the things we're not exposed to it's the stories we don't get to hear mm-hmm. so i don't have time to try and <laughs> and combat those ideas right. no yeah. i'm trying to tell a good story yeah you know what i mean absolutely yeah. i don't i there's no musical i can get my brother to come to if i'm not in it that bothers me there's no there's nothing mm. nothing mm. nothing there's not a single show that the mugs that I grew up with, mm-hmm. the dudes on my basketball team, the, the, the brothers that I know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Actually fucks with. Yeah. Like there's not one. Theater, theater, yeah, we're theater blacks. We, we deal with something, we like certain things, but like, no, I can't show you a single show on Broadway right now that I could tell my brother, yeah, you gonna, you gonna think you spent that $150 and felt yourself up there. You walked away after that $150 and like, I'm glad I did that. You know what I'm saying? And to Gilbert's point, if we even look at the lineup of actor guests who have been on the podcast, there is a huge overlap of shows that they've all been in because there's such limited options for black actors on Broadway. I mean, like, we really hit the black musicals on Broadway bingo from our interview guests. I'm, I'm saying we've had folks from Bronx Tale, Scottsboro Boys, Lion King, Shuffle Along, Tina, Motown, Ain't Too Proud. And I mean, we've had some Lolas from Kinky Boots, right? And they've all been incredible. But we need more, right? What, what's next? How do we continue to expand? And, of course, we've been able to chat with the artists who have been involved with incredible work beyond those. Like y'all probably know, Ain't No Mo became one of my favorite plays after I saw it. So when award-winning playwright and actor Jordan E. Cooper performed the easy monologue he had written for the play, I was fighting back tears the whole time. What? This ain't easy. Easy? What the hell is that? I ain't say it was easy. Ah, uh-uh, no, you ain't heard me say nothing about no easy. Easy don't know me and I don't know easy. Shit ain't easy. Nigga, what you doing now? Shit as hell ain't making shit easy for nobody. Easy. Bitch, you know how many more of these motherfuckers I still got a skin in after you? Do you know how hard these damn heels is raping and stabbing my damn feet? Do you know how much sweat this wig is keeping from gershing down the front of my damn face right now? Do you know how hard it was for me to get out of that bed this morning when the sun started yelling out my name? Easy. From the moment they plucked me off my mama's peach tree, I was ripe, round, and full of juice. And if Easy knew me, I wouldn't be wasting away in a world full of folks who hate peaches. I got my ass whooped last night by a group of jealous niggas who was pissed that I looked better than the bitches they fucked the night before. That wasn't even white folks did that. They look like me. And every one of them is standing somewhere in this line waiting for me to scan their ticket to a better life. <sighs> Seems like niggas will never accept any other nigga that don't fit into their tiny idea of what a nigga can be. Any kind of sparkle that sparkles too sweet they gotta spit on. Shoving out the shine and stomping out the sugar. But I realized a long time ago that sometimes black hate black more than any white ever could. And knowing that I'm going to a place where all I see is black scares the fuck out of me. 
So yeah. The shit ain't easy, but I sashayed my sexy ass on to work so I can get these coins and make this flight. You hear me? Talking about some easy. Bravo. I'm literally near tears. I'm like, I was, this is the dream right now. Bravo. <laughs> so how blackness and queerness intersect with each other is definitely a frequent conversation on the podcast. I love the way Ain't Too Proud star Candace Marie Woods articulates their thoughts on it. Take a listen. Black people are queer as well. And mm. I'm gonna tell you why. Tell because black people, we have been seen as the strange and odd and not normal thing since the begin well, since we were shipped out here. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there needs to be like this understanding that you yourself, you may not be uh, uh, non-binary, you may not be trans, you may not be gay, lesbian, you may not, you may strictly be straight. Mm. But you are queer mm. because you're black. Ooh, speak on it. All in all, we deserve the freedom to be who we want to be fully and wholeheartedly, which is something stage and screen star Nathan Lee Graham said so well. Backstage happened to put on their Instagram uh, yesterday one of my quotes. Um, Whoever you are, whatever you are, become more of it. And I truly believe that. And as soon as you can find out who that is, I think it's most important to dive right into yourself, whittle away, polish it up, hone it, yes. and be, just become yourself as soon as, you, as soon as you can. That's the best advice I can give to anyone about anything in any vocation. Yes. Find out who you are right away and then, you know, knock it out of the park. And I'm not talking about something silly and frivolous. Obviously, I'm talking about the true essence of who you are. Yes. Hopefully, it's not some sort of, you know, Dexter serial killer. So... Um, <laughs> But, you know, but a person who who wants the best for everyone, including themselves and follows the golden rule of, you know, um, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So that's what I mean by that. Which could also be said about embracing one's own artistic identity, which isn't always easy. Two black women playwrights who have both won awards for their writing, mind you, talk about combating imposter syndrome. Let's hear from Charlie Yvonne Simpson and Lynn Nottage. And yeah. I remember like going to a cafe and like um, working at this coffee shop in Philly and this guy coming up to me and talking to me, you know, weird now <laughs> talking about it. But you know, he was like, what do you do? And I remember being like, I am a playwright. And how did and, it feel? Um, it felt great until he was like, have you actually had anything done? Which Ooh! is exactly why we don't say that, right? Because, right. you know, because um, we're always afraid someone's going to come out and be like, anyone actually seen your work right, right. Um, and I remember actually in the moment because I'm pretty good at like faking it till I make it you know coming up with some really good like retort um, <laughs> but you know um, but that was the fear and it, it was it allowed me to conquer that fear what happens when someone right. straight up questions you and I, and I had to deal with that putting the language of being a playwright into your mouth makes you a playwright and it's Ooh. something that I discovered really late in the game mm -hmm. is that just saying I'm a playwright meant that I was a playwright mm -hmm. but I remember being at dinner parties and people say what do you do I always circumvented that word because I thought oh am I a playwright if I'm not being produced yet wow and once I said I am a playwright ironically I think I began being produced yeah claiming that space yes yeah, claiming, claiming that space that identity yeah so throughout the ups and downs, how do artists navigate it all? There were two pieces of advice that I found so helpful that I applied them to my own journey and have legit leaned on them in moments of doubt. Hear from actor and bold co-founder Destiny Ray and stage manager Janae Bonick. 
I, instead of being trapped in doubt and fear, which I could choose that, why don't I be, uh, why don't I leave this contract with wonder and um, excitement? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. very close to each other, doubt and wonder. Um, you yeah. you don't know, both of them are linked to not knowing. Yeah. Um, but one is such a more positive outlook right? that Ooh. will affect you. Yes. So I try to lead in wonder rather than doubt. I like that. Yeah. Lead in wonder, not in doubt. Yeah. I mean, when I listen through to edit this later, <laughs> I'm going to be like, yes, yeah, so this is going on my vision board. Oh, my God. I love that. I love yeah. that. There's this Jamaican phrase that my mom says to me all the time. What good better must come. It's just mm-hmm. like, just like, keep going. Like, it's going to... What whatever this is now is not a permanent state, and mm. and better's gonna come. Like you just have to keep pushing. Um, and I think it's the same can be said about theater jobs and theater careers. It's like you just because there's no clear path. Um, every stage manager will give you fifty different stories as to how they got where they are. You know, yeah. um, you just have to trust that your journey is the journey, your journey, and it's the path you're supposed to be on, and like. But if you stick with it, even if it doesn't look like what you want it to look at, like at the end, it, it looks like what it's supposed to look like at the end. So throughout the last 99 episodes, we have covered some deep and heavy topics. But we've also been present for exciting and historic moments of celebration, like the opening night of Schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls play. Hear from cast member Mamaye Buafo, playwright Jocelyn Bio, and director Rebecca Tashman. To do something that I feel in my spirit is going to be a milestone for many reasons. It's going to be, I think it's going to be timely and timeless because of the story, especially with the black girl movement, black girl magic movement and all of that coming about. I think it's amazing to be a part of something which I believe is going to be historic. You know, I'm the first uh, black uh, playwright that they've produced in nearly 20 years. And that's, I don't think that that's their fault. I think What's great is not that it went 21 years, you know, that they kind of like decided, you know what, we're going to embrace different stories. We're going to like really go out there and put ourselves out there and find the new writers, find the new stories. Yes. Um, And I'm just excited to be the like vessel with which that, you know, portal is like is going through. I think you're right that 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 there's this incredible importance in younger and young voices stepping forward and feeling supported and having the space to create stories that resonate. I think it's probably more important than it has been in my life. It feels more important than it has felt in my lifetime anyway. The cheering at the end? That was when they found out Schoolgirls was a New York Times critic's pick. And like Jocelyn said, she was the first black playwright MCC produced in 20 years. So yes, it is safe to say the show was historic. And it is personally one of my favorite plays. I just think the way that Jocelyn wrote about these themes of colorism and beauty standards was so important. And I'm so grateful we got to witness that moment with them. And so not only did we get to share in moments of celebration, but we also had moments of laughter and joy. And we got one of the best analogies to explain what the perhaps mysterious position of company manager is. Hear from our girl in Zinga Williams. I always, when I when I get a job, I always figure out how am I going to explain it to my mother. I'm from Trinidad. Ooh, okay, yes. <laughs> and my mom knows nothing about theater. She's like, 
Owen Zinga, I love that Gregory Hines. And I'm like, he's been dead since, you know. Okay. Um, rest in peace, though. Uh, so <laughs> I figure out how I'm going to explain it to her. And uh, the way I explained what I'm doing as a company manager is I said, Mom, I'm kind of like the bra of a company. Ooh. And she's like, go on. Right. Um, and I said, uh, you know, I'm there to support. I am there mm. to sometimes bring people together, sometimes separate them, definitely always lift them up, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. And I was like, and when I'm not there, it's really apparent. Mm. But when I'm there, things just kind of go and seem as is. Right. And I was like, so that's that's kind of what a company manager is. I mean, a company manager is like a bra. See, I'm saying we covered the gamut in the last 99 episodes, okay? And perhaps one of the more surprising yet delightful repeating themes of the show is how Hilary Duff inspired the masses. So hear from Nick Reed, Dwayne Perkins, and Kevin T. Curtis on why they believe we've got a picture-perfect plan. (laughs) Most of my influences came from what I saw on TV. So, you know, all the cartoons and stuff, all these people on Disney Channel. Yes. I remember I was in sixth grade and then Let It Burn just came out, Usher, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yes. and everyone was singing it. Even my, you know, white teacher huh. was singing it. And then I was like, I just got the new Hilary Duff album. Um, oh, my God. But Metamorphosis? Yes, which was amazing. Yeah, of course it was. It was my favorite. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. I love her. During, like, school, I was a big, like, Radio Disney person. Yes, you so were. I was like, yeah. <laughs> So like I love me like a Disney soundtrack. Right. I love me a Hillary Duff. Give me a Metamorphosis. <laughs> I knew I liked you. Yes, uh, that Metamorphosis album. Uh, it was great. So many bobs. Uh, and we have to talk about Hillary Duff too. Younger, I mean. Hillary. Congratulations, s- she just got married. And looks good doing it. I mean, I'm obsessed with um, her. And, like, let me tell you, when I was in middle school, uh-huh. like, me and my best gay friend Landon would sit and watch, like, we were, we were on the phone, talking to each other on the phone, watching um, Lizzie McGuire nah. as if we're um, Oprah and Gail watching <laughs> uh, Barbara Walters. So, for, so to be, like, up in the gigs with her, right. like, I was beside myself. Yeah. As I would be, too, because we stand Hillary Duff in this house. But, of course, when it comes to true inspirations, the Brandy Whitney Houston Cinderella was absolutely the top of the list. Hear from Obi Lortel and Drama Desk winner Larry Owens, Idea Award winner Zaniba Now, and Tony nominee Danae Benton. And I was reading, you know, yeah. that, you know, the, the Shondaland uh, Cinderella. That oral yeah. history. <laughs> yes, I, I, I read it this ooh, morning. So I read it this good. morning. And it was, and that's what happened. They yes. all just said, we agree. Yes. We agree. That this is our, these are our circumstances. And then from there, everything just worked. Like. I was really into the movie musicals. So like I was, I would rent like Willy Wonka and Cinderella Rodgers and Hammerstein with Brandy and Whitney. Brandy Whitney Cinderella was my everything. Uh, yeah, what did the representation mean to you? I think when you're a little girl, it's like, it's so simple. Like, I don't think people realize how simple it is, the way our minds work, where you're like, oh, that person looks like me. Maybe I can do what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that simple. So Danae was the finale guest of the first season of the podcast because she definitely helped inspire it, as did my first ever guest, Christian Dante White who I continue and continue to pour out gratitude to because he really believed in me when I had this vision. 
And now, 100 episodes later, I'm feeling so full reflecting on it all. I might get emotional. (laughs) There have been rats, which is a long story. (laughs) There have been reunions, and there have been interviews that were dreams come true. And for some, I was nervous as hell, y'all. Other days, I was tired and just wanted to go home and watch Netflix. But I'll tell you what, the days that were the hardest, there would be a reminder of why I was doing it. You know, people saying, I've never been asked to do an interview before. Or I'm just so thankful to have the chance and the opportunity to share my story. And I am just so grateful so beyond grateful for each and every interview I've done for this podcast because each person has given me a gift. Seriously. Seriously. Um, And if there was one moment that I had to choose to distill down into why I think this podcast is so important and it still gives me chills, uh, it's just the best reminder of why we do this. It is from the second Call and Response live show at Broadway Con. So there's an audience question and I'll repeat it for you. Why well, repeat it in that episode? Because <laughs> um, you can't really hear her. And you'll have to listen to Christiani Pitts' response. Last question. Now, in case you couldn't hear what the audience member said, sorry, I did not repeat it into the mic like I said I would. Um, This young actress said she has had to combat stereotypes of black women. So how did Christiani and Haley do that? Because she was just cast as a slave and she wants to be an actor, but she doesn't know how to combat these stereotypical roles. Now, listen to what Christiani has to say, because it had us all in tears. You're going to work to combat that for your entire career, unfortunately. And it's going to be a very personal experience because it's, it's unique to who was in that room at the time. But I would say n- knowing who you are, she, Haley touched on this earlier, is so important because you can't let anybody tell you what your blackness means. You're going to make me cry too. Um, you, you can't let anybody tell you what you are because being black is being everything that you want it to be. Yeah. So go in there knowing who you are and what you bring to the table, and that is enough. And if anybody makes you feel like you have to put something on to be black, walk out because you don't. Mm. You do not. Being black isn't a specific action. And that people will tell you that no matter where you are in your career, they will tell you what it means to be black. And you know what it means because you are that. So combat it with power and with love of yourself. Ooh, yes. And I mean... That is that, right? Like, that is it. Power and love of yourself. So thank you to all of my guests. Thank you to the people who have written to me about the show, posted about the show, or stopped me on the street like James Roberts the fourth did, who ended up as a guest himself. Your support means the world. And know that you have sustained me and have kept it all going. And with that... Thank you, thank you, thank you to so many people. I'm sure I'll forget people, and now I understand how award winners feel at the Oscars. But Carrie Kearse, Mama Fitz, Tyler Cullen, Sean Texan, Mark J. Franklin, Logan Cowell Block, the list goes on and on. But thank you all from the bottom of my heart for helping me get to 100 episodes of Call and Response Podcast. Until next time, y'all.